guys, this is Doug. Thanks for listening to What's the Hazard. I want to take a minute and thank our incredibly generous sponsors, Custom Concrete Specialists, PML Construction, the Nebraska Department of Labor On-Site Consultation Group, Liquid Trucking, Risk Skill Consulting. Thank you one and all. We really appreciate your support. Now today's episode. Happy Friday, everybody. Good morning. This is Doug, and you're listening to What's the Hazard. It is hard to believe, but it is Friday, March 1st, I think. Is it? Is it not? We even had an, a leap day in there to get an extra day of February, but uh, it is March, and um, that has gone really fast for me, Pete. You will recognize my guest, the handsome, charming <laughs> Pete Suska. Operational excellence is his area of expertise. OpEx safety. That's you, man. You have a very dignified look about you. Really? Yeah. You're very very together, very dignified, professional looking. I know that when we stood on stage together, uh, there was this real real contrast because I think I had like an untucked T-shirt and you always look together, uh, you know, very professional. Yeah, you're in much better shape than I am, too. So, uh, well, I'm not we'll sure that's true either. this around a little bit. But we're going to talk about that a little bit. So okay. Pete Suska is my guest. OPEX Safety is his company. And uh, he is kind of a big thinker. I mean, most of us, like myself, kind of think in small terms. Your approach to what we do, the consulting that you do, is on a lot larger scale, operational excellence beyond just safety. So... We're going to talk about that because it's fascinating. I reread your articles last night, you know, the ASSP articles that you posted, and uh, they're still relevant, man. They're better than Ambient, actually. (laughs) Which I am also familiar with. But (laughs) no, no, they're still relevant. I mean, even though you've wrote them a few, they were written a few years ago, I think, probably, they are still very topical and relevant and very interesting. So we'll talk a little bit about that, but I would talk, I would like to talk just a little bit about um, you, you strike me as a guy who probably is a creature of routine, perhaps. Are you a routine guy? And so I'm interested. I've been asking some of my guests of late about their morning routines. Do you have a routine that when you get up in the morning to start your day to be productive? Do you have a routine or you don't strike me as a guy that just rolls out of bed and fumbles to the uh, coffee I, pot? I, I will tell you the older I get, the less routine um i've become really yeah less structure um, less rigid and, and i've got a lazy i've got a, like i don't call it a laziness side to me but i've got an undisciplined side to me mm-hmm. um and and i think you know some days when um i don't have something actively going on uh, i've just come i come down and get my coffee i sit in front of my computer and i do my thing and Maybe I don't get fully dressed or whatever it is, and you know. Is that a little COVID uh, lag, perhaps, or just? I, I totally get it. I, I, I um... think it's. I think it's my way of relaxing. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and and discipline to me sometimes isn't relaxing. Right, and no, I know it is to, to to some people. It, it is is how they achieve kind of order in their mm-hmm. life, and mm-hmm. that's relaxing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying disorder is relaxing for me, but I think sometimes the lack of a, a script mm-hmm. and working in a script is, is. Yeah, I, th- I think I understand that. And so that would suggest to me, and I'm by no means qualified to do psychoanalysis, but that, that you do have order in your life. If you are, mm-hmm. 
if you are comfortable allowing that disorder or a little bit less rigidity perhaps into your day on those occasions where you don't have things that must be accomplished, then you must be pretty good at ordering things when you do need to accomplish things. Yeah. And, you know, I just got off a, um, a full day session yesterday doing um, this leadership work I'm doing for a, a corporation. And so I, I had 30 people in the room and basically I spent eight hours changing the way they think. Mm-hmm. And it's tiring. I'll bet it is. Yeah. And this is done virtually or are you in no, the room? No, in person. You were in the per- Oh, very good. Yeah. Much better. Much better. Oh, it's just, I mean, I, Doug, I, I absolutely love it. And, and I love it from the perspective that I am learning probably as much as these folks are every time I get in front of people, because I hear better stories. I hear nuances. I hear all kinds of things that just kind of add to my, you know, uh, mm-hmm. ability to frame an issue or, or a subject or whatever it is. And, right. And the human dyna- I love the human dynamic. I really do. Absolutely. I do too. And I, I completely agree with you about the opportunity to learn while you are imparting some information. You are certainly learning and gaining and, and yeah, just that breadth of experience that you can refer to. You know, next time you do that class, you can incorporate some of those things that you talked about with that group. So what is, um, so this is interesting because I just, passed your name and contact information to a friend of mine here in town who is putting together an annual conference for his company. Every year they do a big annual conference, safety, health, environmental, management, leadership, all of those things. They bring their C-suite folks. They bring a lot of their leadership from around the country. And he's like, do you know anybody that would be a good fit for this? I said, I absolutely do. And I sent him your contact information I think he will reach out to you, but he he will listen to this at some point. So talk a little bit about that leadership course that you do. I think this would be very interesting to his group. Yeah, you know, it's it I when I stand up there and I tell people, I said that I know this may have been advertised as training, but it's not. And mm-hmm. and at the end of it, you're gonna agree. Um, this is a workshop, this is a transformative. I know it sounds a little weird, transformative session where I'm going to take you from thinking and looking at the world that you operate in one way and in eight hours to seeing it completely differently. Mm-hmm. And and I you you do that in an incremental way. And, and there's an order mm-hmm. to those steps of bringing somebody up the hill or down the hill or mm-hmm. whatever it is. And, and I know where they need to go. They just don't know that they need to move and they don't even know why they need to get there. And mm-hmm. at the end, it's like, whoa. And and I've got these table groups of, you know, I've got four plant teams, let's say, in the room. Okay. Different four different plants. I got the plant manager, I've got the finance person, engineering person, quality, you know, all of the functional mm-hmm. leads, direct reports, and some first line supervisors. And and I'm watching them. I'm watching them evolve and they're all at different places where all these plants are at different places. Right. Yeah. And they're all moving. And, and I'll say to them, look, though, this is EHS focused. I don't want the EHS people making decisions at your table mm-hmm. because this is going to be so simple that you all are going to be able to do this 
without the EHS people there. Mm-hmm. Nice. And which is what we want, ultimately. We don't want them making all those decisions. So let's get back to that. So ultimately, we, as you said, you are probably brought in. Are you typically brought in by EHS people to do this EHS training, as you described it? But yeah, then, it, it, then it becomes much it, more than that, obviously, because what when you talk about operational ele- excellence, I mean, you know, this is beyond just, you know, the comp- compartmentalized safety, quality, reliability folks that and their own little their own little view on the world. You're trying to give them a much bigger picture of things. Is that the yeah. case? Yeah, that's, that's totally accurate. Um, I am making this as good for business operations as it is good for EHS mm-hmm. and the principles that we're talking about here, as they get through probably halfway through this, they realize, whoa, this works for everything that we value. Mm-hmm. He's not just talking about EHS and EHS stuff. He's, he's leading us through EHS and in the principles um, and primarily safety uh, that, you know, I use safety as just an indicator of operational health mm-hmm. because it's the most visual, easiest thing to see as a symptom mm-hmm. any at any time. And behind safety is always, if you've got excessive risk, you've always got challenging decision-making mm-hmm. in your organization. And you really need to figure that out, not the safety stuff. Okay. Explain that a little bit. So it goes back to... Um decision-making at the, at a higher level then than at the safety level or I mean, what exactly are you talking about there? Well, here, here's a good example. I had a lady come up to me afterwards and she said, uh, she was an EHS person in this session. Mm-hmm. And she said, I've got my workers complaining about when I tell them to wear safety glasses, they're complaining to me that I'm harassing them. Mm. <laughs> and I said, okay. I said, what are they saying to the supervisor who's supposed to be telling them the same thing? Well, the supervisor isn't telling them the same thing. Mm -hmm. I said, there's your problem. Mm -hmm. I said, now I'm going to tell you something. The supervisor isn't leaning on them for other things, too. This is not just safety glasses. Gotcha. Let's go back and let's figure out what's going on with supervision. Okay, and why they're not able to balance and make the right decisions for their people um, related to our value set, related to our organizational expectations. There's a shortcoming there Mm -hmm. and it's bigger than safety and it's bigger than safety glasses. Right. And I haven't even been in your plan. I'm going to tell you that right now. Mm -hmm. Okay, and it may be coming from the leader or, you know, a lot of supervisors get trained by their workers. Right. So now if you've gotten trained by your workers on what we make, how we make it, what it takes to make it, then if you've got a worker that's really good at production and not so good at wearing their safety glasses and that production is what keeps you as a first line supervisor. How do you make those decisions? Mm, Interesting. Yeah, man. And so that's that's really an interesting thought because. um, yeah, if they're not promoting or enforce, I, enforce, I don't like the word enforcing, but, yeah. you know, insisting upon, you know, following these procedures as we've developed them, it, it ultimately bleeds into all other aspects of that work. 
Yeah, and it does it. And I, and I take these folks. I wish you could sit in the room. I'd love to. I, I, t- I take these folks way back into what a hazard is. Separate mm-hmm. hazard from risk. We've had this conversation mm-hmm. before because it's a problem out there. They don't need, even know how to talk hazard. I mean, I've walked through, I've taken a group of people through a plant and said, I want you to point out fatality hazards for me. Mm-hmm. And they've walked by a whole bunch of them. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And, and it's like, it's like you're taking a tour of kids through a zoo. <laughs> Okay, and there's lions in cages and and, you know, rhinoceroses and all kinds of nasty animals. And and because they're in cages, nobody sees them as hazardous anymore. Right. Right. You know, so we've got this robot in a cage and because it's in a cage and it hasn't killed anybody, it's not a fatality hazard anymore Mm -hmm. in our minds Mm -hmm. for some reason. That's really interesting. And I know that's one of the papers at one, one level of the papers that you wrote for ASSP, you talk about that, that we don't have a clear vocabulary or understanding of the meaning of those terms. And so it becomes really difficult then to get everybody on the same page because, you know, no one defines hazard. No one understands risk in the same terms from group to group or even person to person. It's really hard to rein that in without that clear understanding. So is that... Yeah. Is that yeah. part of where we should be starting? Exactly. You have to rebuild your organization's way of measuring, prioritizing hazards, exposure, whatever you deem is how you're going to prioritize risk in a way that's totally separate from their perceptions. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because right now, there's a lot of perception-based decision-making going on in our organizations. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no doubt. And, and people will say that, well, that's valuable. Some people have more experience than others. Okay, then put that into the process, not the decision-making we're making out there on the floor. Mm-hmm. Build Abs- that into the process. Right. Interesting. Because w- when I look at a hazard, I teach them to look at it for energy, you know, fatality, serious injury, right. energy. Right. And when you really understand that, that the only way to change a hazard is chemistry or physics, and you really understand mm-hmm. that piece, then the ceiling in your facility is a fatality hazard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is. Absolutely. Okay. No doubt. Yeah. Right. Because it could collapse and it's got potential energy and it was holding up these beams. And you know what? How healthy are those beams? Right. That's interesting. You know, that's, that's one of the things that uh, Conklin told me uh, last year when I first started delving into that safety two stuff a little bit. And he said, one of the questions that he asks is what can kill you? You know, what in this plant can kill you? Like, just like you've, you've asked these people, what here is a fatality has fatality potential. Um, what can kill you? What keeps you from being killed? And then is that enough? You know, I mean, like you said, I mean, the only thing that's keeping me from being crushed by this overhead ceiling were these beams that were set in place in the 30s or 40s, perhaps. And is that sufficient? Do we have any idea if that's I mean, it really requires um, a little bit more thought, a little bit more analysis, probably. It does. I was in I was in a paper facility uh, a few years ago. And they had like a three-story operation. And in the top story, they made this emulsion with with paper and water. And and it is a really old plant. The water 
we're running down the stairs <laughs> down the floor, right? This is a concrete facility. It's hundreds of years old. The beams are rotted out. The concrete's spalling. And, and you know what they're doing? They're bringing an engineer every time a piece of concrete falls off to see if if the system is, if the building is safe or right. whatever is, it is. Is I'm that like, the one? <laughs> time out. This building was not made to be a waterfall. Right. It is going to fail Wait, at some point. It is going to keep failing. Yeah. And, and what is it going to take for us to recognize that that approach to managing risk is not sound? Right. Operationally either, because there's going to be a point where you're not going to be able to operate. Maybe that's when you stop. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, it sounds like that's the case for them. You know, when they are physically incapable of operating, that's when they stop. That's, so so that's it goes scary. back to how are we making these decisions? Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk a little bit about, you know, there's one of the I pulled one of the quotes out of one of your papers, which I I think we've talked about before. But it's uh, common elements of an organization that create unwanted operational and safety outcomes. Do you see common elements? I mean, this is kind of what we've been talking about, but are, yeah. th- these are red flags that you pick up on when you do yeah. that initial interview with a company or when you're walking with a company. Yeah. Can you talk about le- some of these things that are just red flags for you? Well, I, I look for conflicts, um, conflicts between what we say and um, what we actually do. Okay. Uh, here's a great example. Um is how many times have you been in a business operation that uh, says it wants to be really good at safety, says it wants zero injuries, has all kinds of safety programs and people, yet it's really not a people-friendly operation? Mm-hmm. All, all the time, frankly. It's very You common. see that as a conflict. Yes. And, it, and if you go to the folks in the union – you go to the folks in the shop floor, they see that pretty clearly. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're organizationally talking out of both sides of our mouth. Yeah, no doubt. Mm-hmm. That you is know, a big red flag. That's the kind flag. of stuff. Go ahead. You know, big red flag. I totally agree. Yeah, I mean, we're, you know, we're pe- treating people like tools. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and we, we want them to be safe. So now we're just going to give them a whole bunch of rules to follow. <laughs> right. Right. Which they always embrace. Yeah, exactly. I love that. And, you know, at the same time, you know, go walk into the dressing room or shower area and it, you know, the prisons are probably nicer, Uh, you know, or, you you know, you take a look at how people are treated. Um, uh, We have we had this whole discussion about we got into this whole discussion about discipline yesterday. Mm -hmm. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I said, if you're going down the road of discipline. You've negated everything upstream that's part of your responsibility as setting people up to make the right decision or not have to make a decision. Right. And you're not considering any of that. You're just seeing this as, as a bad person. Mm-hmm. What do you what do you think about discipline? That's really an interesting subject. I mean, yeah. we've been forced into this position to have the progressive disciplinary system by OSHA. Mm-hmm. You know, OSHA expects that. And so if you if you even hope to make the argument that there was employee misconduct in an incident or something, then you have to be able to show that. But I'm, I'm not a huge proponent of just this 
constant discipline. I don't love that as an approach necessarily. <clears throat> I, you know, I've been there as a leader and I will tell you where discipline usually came from for me was frustration. Mm-hmm. It's like, I am so frustrated with this person not being able to conform or do what they're supposed to be doing. And, and I'm at, I'm at my wits end. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and part of that is, is my ability to clearly appreciate and see reasons. Okay. And I, I told folks in the room yesterday, I said, look, you're not going to be good at root cause analysis if all you can see is this much about the world. Mm -hmm. Okay. And right now we're looking at that person and that person is it. And that person must be the problem and not be able to see that we, that we set the person up with a fork in the road to have to make a decision between operability and speed and performance and safety and safety is always going to slow us down. And we measure performance all the time and we may measure safety some of the time. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that the process we set them up in isn't flexible enough for safety and um, performance to be able to suit them when somebody makes a phone call and says, I need it delivered today, mm -hmm. right? And that the management system that we have isn't recognizing this, capturing this in risk assessment, audits, inspections. It's going through all of that. And then somebody sees the situation we're putting people in. It really doesn't see the situation we're putting people in, but sees their performance and says, hey, this person's a great performer, but we don't see how they perform. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And and so and if you're a supervisor and you got 30 people reporting to you, you don't see how they're doing things. It'd be like having a um you know, you'd be a lifeguard at five pools at the same time. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, what, what you can only respond to somebody screaming and yelling and, and running over there. Right. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be able to see it coming down. Right. So all of that stuff. That's really that's it, that efficiency thoroughness trade off where it I'm going to be as, you know, when efficiency is being pushed, productivity is being pushed. I'm going to be productive and I'm, and there's going to be a sacrifice of some of that safety stuff. Oftentimes, you know, I'll be as safe as I need to be, but I'm certainly not going to fill out all that crappy paperwork that you give me and all that other stuff. And then when we're really humping hard on safety, I was watching, I was over at the plant yesterday and um, one of my maintenance guys over there is a little bit recalcitrant, you know, I mean, He's um, he finds most of the safety things to be stupid and unnecessary, and he's probably right. You know, some of them probably are stupid and unnecessary, but they were in a book somewhere. And so he was working in a scissor lift. This company requires fall protection in the scissor lift. So he's got on his harness. He's in the scissor lift. He he actually puts these cones out around the, the mm -hmm. corners of the scissor lift. He gets into the scissor lift, connects, honks the horn repeatedly, and then moves the scissor lift about five feet, and then gets back down and moves the cones another five feet. 
and then moves five feet. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. just you know, just a deliberate in your face. This is ridiculous shit. Kind of a effort. And I just stood there and watched him for about twenty minutes. It was hilarious. And the whole time he's looking at the safety guy who's kind of watching him. You know, just this horrible. We've re- reached the point where there's just an impasse. You know, this. Yeah. We can't find a balance between efficiency and thoroughness. There is no balance. It's just one or the other, and it's really detrimental. Well, but, I but think fun. a lot of times we've left those folks at the coal face, like the guy you're talking about, mm-hmm. up to figuring that out, and mm-hmm. we shouldn't. Right. Like we should be setting with them. We should be setting their work balance up for them and then protecting that balance. Oh, there you go. Right. Okay. Absolutely. And what I mean by that is when that salesperson makes the phone call down to the shipping loading area and says, you know, that stuff that needed to be shipped out on Monday needs to go out today. We've just shifted from second to fourth gear mm-hmm. and maybe not put the clutch in real well. Right. right? And, and now what's slowing us down? Oh, the safety stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and so we haven't, created the 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 protection for these folks when change happens like that and and then what their you know supervisors and what everybody's supposed to do when that happens you know maybe just say no mm-hmm. right that, and, i love that and, description man thank you for saying that protecting them that's yeah. exactly what we need to be doing and and and, and and the problem with operations, the challenge with operations folks is they got so many things to juggle. They're trying to make people happy too. Everybody's trying to make somebody else happy mm-hmm. with results. And the latitude we have is now how we achieve the results. And that's where safety lives. And that's mm-hmm. where ethics lives. And that's where quality lives, right? Because you can make good quality not doing it the right way. Sure. You can make good safety if you're measuring lack of injuries, not doing it the right way. Undoubtedly, right? yeah. And and when I talk to these leaders, they realize, or I have them realize, they don't measure how. They measure what. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I have this great exercise I put them through with this machine that's really not producing well. It's producing, but it has a lot of jams. It has a lot of scrap. People are in the machine. Maintenance people are in the machine watching it run with it full bore, okay, uh, there's a five-step, you know, uh, alternative control procedure to get in there for the operator. There's all this stuff, and then the bottom paragraph says the plant is able to meet its metrics. The HR has everything is fine. All of our results are good. Nobody's getting injured. Everything's wonderful. So when you read the bottom paragraph, which is the data that's going to the next level, I wouldn't even think about a problem being at this plant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the the executive, the guy, the folks that we had above the plant were like, oh, my. I said, yeah. Mm-hmm. I said, you got a lot of this going on in your plants. You bet they do. Yeah. And these machines and equipment are good enough until they're not. And right. when are they not? When they just about kill somebody or right. just about injure somebody. Mm-hmm. Right. Or and maybe we start meeting that, missing that production goal or whatever that is. And it's is, the same with a worker. So what is your question to them? Do I Good. change this? Do I address this? Do I leave it? Is that what the, the exercise is? Well, the exercise just is just real awareness. Yeah. The exercise is they realize, oh, my, we 
the leadership team are creating mm-hmm. this scenario. Right. We're allowing this. Right. Okay. And we're measuring it only when it fails. Mm-hmm. Fails to produce, fails to whatever. We have okay? the injury that you just talked about. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So we are not looking at the health of our processes. We're looking at the health of the outcomes. Yes. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, man. And now we can get down and look at process health or machine health or whatever it is. We'd realize, and if we looked at it from a safety perspective, from a uptime, from all that stuff, we'd realize, hmm, this ain't so great. I mean, here's the same organization that's got many millions of dollars put into a machine guarding program, right? A machine guarding uh, assessment and, and control process. And mm-hmm. I said to him, I said, you know what you folks are going to do? You're going to guard machines that have no business being guarded. You got the money and you're going to spend it on guarding because it's an edict. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know what the most valuable part of that machine is going to be? The guard. <laughs> right. No doubt. I see that all the time. Yep. That's, so that's because we're not looking at, okay, what's the uptime of this machine? What's the maintenance cycle of this machine? How much spare parts? Is it easy to get spare parts? How much energy is it cost to run? How loud is it? We're not looking at the holistic value of the machine, mm-hmm. of the equipment, of the process. We're not looking at that. We're e- going edict by edict to that machine and then measuring the outcome of the machine. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I see this. That's true in management as well, right? I mean, um, as a management style, we're getting the output that we want. So the means to that end is irrelevant. And yet, you know, you've got a disgruntled workforce, you've got, you know, unhappy employees, you've got a high turnover, you've got all of those things. But the guy that's cracking the whip gets product out the door. And I've gone round and round with this, you know, I had that boss and Everybody hated him and, you know, but we were incredibly productive uh, and I thought, what a horrible person. And then, you know, in retrospect, sometimes I think, well, you know, uh, the office was productive. I I don't know what to think about that sometimes. I mean, ultimately, we would all like to, you know, we would want all of those things to be good culturally and, you know, operationally. We want all those things to be highly effective, but... It can function in the absence of those things, right? I mean, are we just oh, yeah. we're just waiting oh. for that collapse? Is that it, 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 exactly? I mean, it, it goes to it goes down to people, and and I don't know if I mentioned this before, but many years ago, I asked a, a bunch of supervisors, and we were in a room, and I said, "Where's your next injury going to be?" Mm-hmm. It's a, it, it's a very thoughtful question. Everybody should ask that question, no mm-hmm. matter what level they're at. Where's our next injury going to be? Where's your next injury going to be? Because now it, it gets into risk assessment. It gets into control. It gets into all kinds of things. And these guys looked at each other and they said, Pete, uh, not only do we know where, we know who. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I was like, you know who? Oh, yeah. I said, well, what are you doing? What are you doing with that? Uh, you know, HR, you know, all the excuses that come sure. into play. And, and I see this and I ask this question in every leadership program and I'll say, look, you've all got a small percentage of who's, you know, in Whoville, mm-hmm. you've all got a percentage mm-hmm. of who's out there. No doubt. Those, the, most of those people are not bad people. They're just in the wrong job. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. And we're trying to put this square peg into a round hole with more training, more training, more, more, whatever. Okay. And we ultimately know they're going to fail. And they're not just failing at safety. Those pe- those are the people aren't wearing their glasses or maybe are not following the rules exactly for safety because safety is such a visual, easy thing to see. I said, if your people, those people, that, that lady saying that that person not wearing safety glasses. I said, look, I'm going to tell you something. I haven't even been in your plant. I said, that person's not doing other things too mm-hmm. that you're either not seeing or ignoring. Mm-hmm. So let's not fire them because of they're not wearing safety glasses. Let's go back and look at the real health of that person in that job. Yes. Shame on us mm-hmm. for waiting for them to get hurt to now recognize they don't fit. They don't that fit. Job. Wow, that's really shame on us. Yes. No doubt. And, and everywhere a lot I go, of organizations doing that. Absolutely. Everywhere that I go, I think is doing that. And and it's interesting that you mentioned that person because that's one of the things that you know, when people when I say something about a safety related concept or something and they say, "Well, nobody's going to do that, Doug," you know. And I was like, "I I I take exception with that because I think that that person works here or they're, you know, they're doing this job somewhere. One of the, one of these, one of your employees that you've hired and like you've just described, you've put them in the wrong place in a place where they're not going to be successful. And it's just a matter of time, but I'd never, I've never qualified it by saying they're also doing other things. Oh yeah. Incorrectly or incompletely. And that concept is really big. It is. It's not and, just and that goes safety. back to the supervisor protecting them possibly because, you know, yeah, maybe this person doesn't wear their safety glasses, but they're really good at their job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so now, <laughs> right. so now you, you hear you've heard that good employee. They're mm-hmm. a good employee. Oh, well, how do we measure good? Is it across all of our values or just the perform the, the you know, production? <laughs> right. That's such an interesting concept, Pete. You know, it, it, but this all fits together. It all fits together. When did, I mean, you have run businesses. You've been, you know, you've been the the manager of facilities. When did this click for you? Has this always made sense to you? Or did no. you have an aha moment at some point or or just evolved? Or how did that happen for you? Yeah, it, it was an evolution. Um, thanks for asking. Yeah. Uh, because, yeah, I was, I was, uh, <clears throat> I want to use a negative term here. But when I first started in safety, we all start kind of in the same place where somebody hands us, well, I started in 1989. What standard came out in 1999? Lockout, tagout. Lockout, tagout, yeah. Okay. And I was handed, I was a safety (laughs) engineer. I had a short sleeve button down shirt tie, you know, clip on tie pocket protector. Mm -hmm. And, and here you go, Pete, take this and make this real in our company. That was, that was what I got. I got handed the CFR. Oh my. And I was like, Okay. Who do I need to talk with? Well, I need to talk to the maintenance guys. I need to, you know, so I got these folks together and I said, okay, let's just understand what this expectation is. How are we going to do this? How are we going to make this work? You know, and, and, you know, I guess I, through the fire service, I had a little knowledge of working with people and what sure. it takes to make things work because I could have just put those, those sections of the standard into slides and, and, and fed them like a goose. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Right. All this regulatory stuff. Yeah. But I was a realist. I, I The fire service made me a realist. That's good. And and 
that's what helped. Yeah. And then as I started to move through all of that, I started to realize that some of the stuff that I was doing didn't make operational sense. It just didn't make any sense. I was mm-hmm. writing stuff. It looked good to me, but those people out in the shop didn't look good to them. Mm-hmm. Why? Because they had 15 other things to do or it didn't make sense or they couldn't do it. And then I was, okay, well, why is that? And then I got connected to the corporate uh, assurance audit process, which was a management system review. And I got connected with management systems. It was like, like angels were singing in my Mm -hmm. head. Oh, oh, wow. Yeah. Like that's like, you know, Newton looking through the, 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 the telescope seeing other worlds. I was like, Oh my Lord, there are worlds outside of the earth. Yeah. And, and it expanded this universe for me. That like, and then I realized I was a process thinking person, mm-hmm. but I didn't get there until I saw what a process really was right. and how it should work. And it was like it clicked with me. Mm-hmm. And then I went from, you know, being in the management system world and people saying, well, management systems are it. And I said, mm, I don't know. And there seems like a lot of things having negative implications on management systems, even though the management system's good. What are those things? And I started to look into that, mm-hmm. which got me to this organizational stuff. Because mm-hmm. I realized that you have the best management system in the world, and, and your organization will detonate it every single day by the business and operational decisions it makes and the culture that it has in yeah. terms of how it prioritizes things. Yeah. It's fascinating, man. So this was all bouncing around in your head. There was some, there was some, it wasn't clear because definitionally, like we've talked about earlier, we didn't really define those concepts, but once it clicked, you, you knew that was something that was already innate in you. Yeah. I mean, it made sense yeah. to you Yeah, and it doesn't seem and, to make and, sense to everyone. Yeah. And I've got a 19 year old kid in college and, and I say to him all the time, I, his name is Jack. I said, Jack, um, Jack's a flat line. Uh-huh. Like, Jack doesn't have a, a passion in anything at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least as a kid, I had a passion. Of, I was fishing. I liked to fish and hunt. That was my passion. Right. My father said, boy, if you could study this stuff <laughs> like you study hunting magazines, right. you'd be a genius. You know? <laughs> I understand. And, but but I had to get to a place where that passion could be aligned around something that I can make a living with. And mm-hmm. it takes some people a long time to find it. But you got to go look. Mm-hmm. You got to stretch yourself. You got to put yourself in these situations where you're exposed to new things. Absolutely. And so with regard to management systems, and as you were describing, just, you know, you can have a great management system, but as you said, blow it up every day with, based on the way you're decision-making. Um, do you have pet peeves in that regard or... Just pet peeves in general. I've been asking this question periodically. <laughs> I think it's interesting because we all have pet peeves, you know. And one one of mine is the absence, and it seems so obvious once it's, you know, definitionally once we understand it, the lack of, um, I it's a cliche term, but engagement of employees in the problem solving process. I see these guys sitting at their desks trying to solve problems, you know, in their dark cubicle solving problems. And all of the answers are out there, you know. And I know, you know, um, that's a fairly 
well-understood concept, but I don't see it very much. I still see people trying to solve problems from their desk. Mm. You know, that drives me crazy. And I'm like, the answers are here, man. We just got to go get them, you know? I struggle with that a little bit. Yeah, and I think that comes from uh, a historical management culture Mm -hmm. and a historic, you know, bigger than any company, but the way we were taught to manage Mm -hmm. is like, we're given a job, we're given a span of control, we're given a technical realm, we're given a authority, right? But but we're not told that those folks out there are actually critical, elemental to our success. Mm-hmm. We think we're there, we think success works through us having them do things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's and that's the you know what I mean? Yeah, that's great, man. I love that. And that's ele- that's elemental uh, of of the difference of of concept. Mm-hmm. And, and I learned a lot of that through the fire service. I mean, look, I had I was a lieutenant, I was a captain, I was a deputy chief, I was an assistant chief. I had all kinds of rank, okay. But I was first a firefighter, and and I think that is some of the problem. Some of these folks in leadership were never firefighters. Mm-hmm. They were never on the floor. Yeah. Okay. So if you were never on the floor, you don't have a lot of respect for what that really is like mm. and what that stuff coming to you really looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I think these organizations that bring people up from the floor up are much healthier many times. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. Okay. I can forget once I put that, I get in the corner office, I can forget, but at least I was there. Right. To some degree, you know, through the, the way that we have promoted people, though, we're promoting that high performer oftentimes. At least that's what I saw in government service. You know, the highest performers got promoted, but they weren't necessarily, but then they weren't really equipped with, they understood what it took to, to do the job, and they were actually quite good at it, you know, to do the basics of the job, but they didn't always, you know, they weren't good at communicating that necessarily, or so there there is some need to be able to translate that into a, you know, you can have empathy for the guy out on the floor because you've done that job. But if you were really good at it and he's not particularly good at it or whatever that case might be, or, you know, whatever that can be, it can be a challenge of sorts, I think. Yeah. I mean, if I look at it from a organizational perspective, how many organizations do you go in where we don't do a robust job of teaching supervisors how to be supervisors? Absolutely. That's everywhere that I go. It seems like that's a huge problem. And that is that they're the, they're the lifeguard in the pool. Right. That's, okay. They're, they're also the swimming instructor. Right. And they're the ones that are protecting yeah. those employees when, exactly when they're being pulled in so many directions. Uh, Oh, you want a pet peeve? Yeah. I just ran into one yesterday. <laughs> okay. All right. So we say that we're interested, highly interested in employee safety, yet we've got one supervisor managing 45 people. Mm-hmm. How the heck does that work? Mm-hmm. No, really. It, uh, and I asked him, if you've heard the term span of control, <laughs> Yeah, sure. And our span is one to 45 or whatever. Yeah, right, right. One to five. Yeah. Um, and then I'll go to HR and I said, how do you look at span of control? I mean, because you're the lifeguard, if you mm-hmm. will. That's mm-hmm. your role is to be the lifeguard of the human dynamic 
interface in the organization. Where, where do you stand up and say, that's too many people for one person to manage? Where's the line? Now, realizing that line is a little flexible, right? So we'll use the pool analogy. If everybody in the pool is an Olympic swimmer, okay, maybe maybe I can manage more Olympic slim, swimmers than mm-hmm. I can you know, five-year-old children in a pool. But you know, I mean, it, but but there, what's how are we how are we assessing that? How are mm-hmm. we making that decision? Yeah, and you know what the decision is? How much we need to get done? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. But that, I really, I really love the comment about preparing and equipping these supervisors to be able to do what we, I think, I, I, what we're asking of them. I'm not even sure that's the right phrase. You know, what would be um, desirable? You know, to have them be able to do those things. Right. We don't well, do that very word, well. Yeah, the word accountability pops out a lot. Probably hear you hear it a lot too. Mm-hmm. Accountability. If you only could hold people accountable. Accountability is downstream. Upstream is role, responsibility, understanding how to deploy that responsibility and role, mm-hmm. having the tools, having the support to do that. All if if that is all not in place, we can't hold people accountable. <laughs> right. Most definitely. That's okay. exactly and, right. And usually when they say accountability, just like hazard and risk get conflated. Uh, responsibility and accountability can get conflated. Absolutely. Uh, responsibility is way before accountability. Mm-hmm. And yes. most of the time, that's the problem. Mm-hmm. I think so too. And, and those yeah. things are not generally clearly communicated or concisely yeah. communicated. You know, it's like the um, be safe or, you know, okay, um, <laughs> I'm in favor of that. What does that mean? Well, just be safe. You know, I mean, I don't think. In the absence of defining those expectations, we have a right to be disappointed when they're not met, you know? I mean... Because they're not well-defined. They're not defined. Right. It's just, Yeah, exactly. It's interesting, but I think that's yeah. very common. That's kind of a pet peeve of mine, too, you know? that, uh, And I've just actually come upon that as a pet peeve, but, you know, we're expecting something of people that we have not communicated to them oftentimes, you know? That's common yeah. sense. They should know yeah, that. It, uh, it, maybe. And it's the same dilemma with um, we've talked about the three tiers of decision making, right? So if the first two tiers don't balance out the benefit and the risk, it gets it has to get balanced out by the people at the coal face. So if we haven't put capex into making a process safe, safe and operationally healthy, then we use opex, which is rules, procedures, PP, and training. You know the lowest level of control, and and then we find some way to make it safe with that. Mm-hmm. And then I said, okay, to folks, and this is hop in hop too. Mm-hmm. All right, so what does it take to make all that work 100% of the time? 100% reliable people. Oh, son of a gun. <laughs> I, raise your hand if you're 100% reliable. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know you executives are. Sure. Everybody else, okay? No, we're not. Okay, so now what happens when they fail? Who do we blame? Blame. Uh, bad word, mm-hmm. but that's where it is. Mm-hmm. We blame the worker. Because we set them up to fail. Yeah. And we knew they were going to fail. And we were just measuring when they weren't. Yeah. Yeah, it's inevitable. It's inevitable. I mean, I think we should approach it with 100% certainty that they're going to fail at some point, right? I mean. Well, we should 
recognize the fact that the decision is 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 we're confused we're mm-hmm. in denial whatever the right word is yeah. in making that decision thinking that's going to be wonderful in a dynamic environment mm-hmm. like when that phone call comes down that we need to bring put it out on today it's not go today on, on monday yeah okay um so i teach them you know good example I'm walking through a plant three, four months ago, plant manager. We walk out there, manufacturing plant, big hole in the floor. I mean, you know, there was a process there. Mm-hmm. It was six feet deep. Okay. And I said, what's that? <laughs> he goes, that's a process that was moved to Mexico. I said, that's great. And they left you with a hole? <laughs> <laughs> he goes, yep. I said there was no there was no capex in the, in the process to to do that. He's oh yeah there was, but it wasn't spent on filling the hole. I said this guardrail around here. I said you had to buy that. Oh yeah. I said what were they thinking? You're going to make this into a pool? <laughs> I said I mean what is it yeah. now? It's yeah. unused and can't be used operational space. It doesn't make any sense. Right. And it's inevitably going to be a problem at some point. Well, it's a fatality hazard. Yeah, it's definitely a hazard. Yeah. They left you with a fatality hazard. <laughs> that was, yeah, but it's cheaper in Mexico, so. And everybody, everybody in the room, and I used this as an example yesterday, everybody laughed. Yeah. And when people laughed, it's like, yep. <laughs> they laugh because it's familiar. Yeah, because it's, it's <laughs> yeah, we see that too. Yeah. So how, how does the course conclude? At the end of the eight hours, yeah. you start to see the, the lights going on, the light bulbs starting to go on, and they're moving. In the, what, what is the next step for them? What do they, what is, how do they get, gain some inertia here? Yeah. What it, do they do? The light bulb analogy is a good one because I'm tracking lumens. Mm-hmm. Right. right? I'm, I'm tracking brightness exactly. as I go through the day because it's a cumulative, cumulative process of of making that light brighter and brighter and brighter. Mm -hmm. So at the end, now that I think they're bright enough, um, I give them a scenario. And this, this scenario is a photo of a loading dock area that is just out of control. Mm -hmm. Material is stacked up forklifts, four or five forklifts traveling in the tight spaces. You know, you can see like, there's a lot of, going on here right and and i track them so my my relationship diagram that they've learned goes from incidents backwards goes from incidents to excessive risk to uh process and and uh process health to management system health to health of organizational decision making and now i say all right we're going to start at excessive risk what i want you to do and i've given them this way to to uh measure risk. Mm -hmm. I want you to find the excessive risk. I want you to identify the processes in play and where they're not healthy. I want you to identify the elements of the management system that, that allow this to be the case in this organization that didn't flag it, didn't Mm -hmm. stop it. Right. And I want you to identify the business benefit. The reason why this decision was okay to someone and is okay 
what's behind this? Mm-hmm. Who made this decision? Who do you think made this decision? Why mm-hmm. do you think this is okay? That's a great because, question. Because I think we in the EHS profession or HSC profession need to realize behind every risk is a benefit. Mm-hmm. And no we doubt. don't see benefit. We don't talk benefit. Right. Benefit to us is less risk. No, there is pure benefit mm-hmm, outside mm-hmm, of risk mm-hmm. that we yeah. have to recognize. Yeah. Okay. And and they go back and they rec- they do a great job of going all the way back and then they get into this. Um, I wonder what time of month it was, right? Mm-hmm. Because we had this product that had to go from whip, which is work in progress, to shipped to finish goods. Mm-hmm. And that shows up on somebody's radar screen above the plant. So right. how much finished goods you have a month is a month is something that the plant gets tracked on and the plant manager gets tracked mm-hmm. on. So heaven forbid I'm red in finished goods. Right. So now if I move these pallets from the work area to the loading dock, that is the trigger to go on the spreadsheet from whip to finish goods. So there's a benefit to this stuff there. Mm-hmm. So now, why is it there? Why isn't it somewhere else that's safer, more accessible? We don't have another place. Well, we could have rented a warehouse. We could have done, no, nah, that's cost. Mm-hmm. Now we have a cost limitation. In our, right? you can, so you see the conversation going on, why this seems to be logical. Mm-hmm. The, the business reason behind this, and that yeah. is the powerful piece. Oh. And they realize, oh my, Right. We're doing this all the time. Sure. Everywhere, all the time. That's really an interesting concept that there is a benefit behind every risk. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. We don't, as you said, those of us that are trained specifically in the HSE world typically don't Mm -hmm. see that. But it goes back to something that you said in the very first paper that you wrote in that, in that, that series of articles. As safety and health people... We have a duty to learn the business beyond just safety and health. Yeah. So that you see those things, recognize them, and even perhaps understand how we allowed that to happen. And I, I'm sure that would be would be empowering when you go and address that issue with the decision makers, right? Understanding why and how those things occur. And, you know, and at the end of this thing, I said, "Wow." Now you realize how this all works, right? So now when you see symptoms in the plant, where to go back and look for the reasons behind them and how we're making decisions and all of that, not just now we're not blaming people anymore. We're now taking some responsibility for our decisions Mm -hmm. and whether they're balanced or not. And we're going out in the plants and looking at the results of those decisions operationally, not just on our spreadsheets. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it, it just, and you can see what happens here is we got, even though we have EHS people at these tables, they're saying to themselves, wow, these people now have the ability to make these decisions and I don't have to chase problems. I don't, they know where it's going. Mm-hmm. Now I feel like I'm part of the team and they understand where I fit. Mm-hmm. It's it's really it's, it's fantastic. Brilliant. So it really is. So would you rate yesterday as a as a pretty successful interaction? Yeah. Look, I don't do the rating; they do. Uh huh. Uh-huh. And and they'll say to me, "Oh my!" <laughs> That's to a awesome. person, I had a salesperson. That's the response uh, you're looking for, right? 
Yeah. I Well, it's usually from the folks that don't think they need to be there in the first place. Right. Right. You, you have all those folks. Right. right. So the salesperson, yeah, salesperson comes to the session. You can see the puss on their face. Like, oh, yeah. Teach me something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're wasting my time. Right. Yeah. And at the end of the class, he's the first person to raise his hand. He said, look, I got to tell you. Okay. I came here thinking, what, why am I wasting my time with this? And you know what? This was brilliant. I, I really learned how, what decisions I make have implications on plants that I had never known. Mm-hmm. I don't go to plants that often. I need to go to plants. I need to see the results of my decisions. I'm like, drop the mic right there. <laughs> That's right. That's awesome. You know what I mean? That must be a very satisfying feeling. It is. For you it, as a person who cares so much about this. It, it is. It's, you know, I like to say it's not the money, but money certainly helps. But Absolutely. It, it is what makes me able to go home tired and say, I that, put a good day's that was a good work day. in. Yeah, man. You know what that and, and that's every job. Like I put a good day's work in. I I yeah. built something. I made something. I yeah. created something. I protected people. I did something good today. Yeah. I love that too, man. I love that feeling. Some days you get it, some days you don't, but that's kind of what we're striving for every time. I, I think that's fantastic. We're over the hour already. I don't know how that happens. We were just getting on a roll. I love that stuff. And there's so much, there's always so much to unpack when we talk. Uh, It's one of the few episodes that I go back and re-listen to because there's so many things that I want to write down, but I don't want to be like disrespectful writing things down while you're talking. I love that though. And I think one of the, one of the concepts that I'm going to take away from that, not only is the, you know, the impact that all these other decisions have on the, the ultimate outcome, everybody's decisions have an impact on the ultimate outcomes, but protecting those workers, you know, giving them, you know, because you, you can see it in workers that don't feel protected, that lack of trust, you know, that, that, that belief that, you know, when the going gets tough, all of that stuff's going to be going and I'm going to be, you know, pushing up or whatever. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. It's really interesting. And I see that a lot. It's interesting when you package it that way. And that goes back to what I'll call organizational health, mm-hmm. right? You can have all of this safety program and all this safety stuff, but if you don't have organizational health, you don't really take good care of your workers like they're your family. Mm-hmm. They're going to see that. Absolutely. And that's not uh, that's not an environment that, that where people are going to feel like they trust. Right. The, People they're working for, and th- they're not. going I mean, there's thrive. There's going to be subsets that where 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 leaders create climates within a not so great climate, a good climate, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But the culture as a whole, yeah, it's fantastic. What do you got going on this weekend, man? Anything uh, fun? No, not that I can think of. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't thought that far ahead. See, I'm not. You know, it's only Friday morning. There's no point it to be thinking Friday. about Saturday. It is Friday. It is Friday. What are you doing? Um, what are you doing, Doug? This weekend, one of my sons is coming home. My son that's in oh, school wow. is going to come home for a, a week of spring break. I think he's on spring break next week. So I'll pick him up at the airport. We'll stop at Chick-fil-A. That's part of our routine. He doesn't have a Chick-fil-A anywhere near where he goes to school, apparently. So, And then we probably go to the grocery store and buy about 800 bucks worth of groceries so he can 
have something to snack on for the week, <laughs> which means I'll have to go out and find more work. <laughs> this, let me tell you, does he do this? Does he open the refrigerator, stand there, look around and complain that there's nothing, there's nothing to, to eat? eat? Oh, all the time. Yep. All the time. And I, and I told my kids, I said, look, that's not a tanning booth. <laughs> right. I'm like, come on. <laughs> exactly. Yep. And and the interesting thing is, 10 minutes later, he's right back in front of it. I know, right. Looking at the <laughs> same stuff. The- <laughs> now he's just rationalizing, okay, well, maybe I can eat that this time or whatever, you know. Oh, my Wait, God. How hungry yeah. am I? Right. Uh, we're looking forward to having him home. It's always good to see him. Haven't seen him for a while. So it'll be good to have him home for a little bit. Other than that, I hope that it's an uneventful weekend. I don't need a bunch of excitement on the weekend necessarily, you know, after a fun week. So, Pete, I love you, brother. Man, this stuff is so good. Thanks to Tom West for putting us together. Yes, exactly. And keep an eye out for an email from my friend Cody. He's going to be reaching out to you, I would assume, soon. Hopefully we can get you here to Omaha. That would be fantastic. Love to see you in front of this group because this is a really – inspired company right now they're doing a lot of things that are very positive and i think the final piece in the puzzle would be having you speak to their leadership team about some of these concepts so keep an eye out and uh, hopefully we can get you back here there is a window of time when it's actually nice to be in omaha so it's like (laughs) may 7th through the 14th or something is usually pretty good (laughs) and then september 20th is something like that so we'll figure that out okay it's good to see you man (laughs) Thank you again. Yeah, take care of yourself, Pete. I'll be in touch soon. We'll talk soon, buddy. Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next week. Later. A Huda Media Production.